Thank you so much for joining us for the Summit Podcast. This message was produced with you in mind, and we'd love to hear your story of how God has shown himself faithful in your life. Email us at mystory@summittogether.com. Maybe it's 11-part series. It's, it's going on for a while. So we'll be doing this until the end of August. So if you're sick and tired of James, uh, I got bad news. We're stuck in James for a little bit. But it's been really good. It's, I hope it's challenged you because it certainly has challenged me. Uh, as I've brought the word, I've been, God has kind of stepped on my toes sometimes and convicted me about some things. And I think in some ways today is no different. So I'm excited to share the word with you today. Um, we took a break from James this last week when we had our guest speaker, Kyle Hammond, with us. Uh, he did a fantastic job. Uh, but I want to encourage you, if you've missed some of our series in the book of James, go back and listen. Because the reason we're walking through it verse by verse, the entire book, is so that we can have a context for what, what James is saying to the church overall and what God is saying through James to the church overall. And so I would love for you to go back and hear the other messages so you can put these pieces together and, and have a better understanding of what God is communicating to us through the book of James. Now, just to recap a little bit, again, James was the brother of Jesus. Uh, he wrote this to Christians, people that were Jewish in heritage, but had converted to Christianity and were scattered throughout the world. Uh, and one of the things he was addressing, one of the major themes in the book of James is, uh, is living out our faith. And how many of you know that it's important that we don't just confess a faith, that we don't just say we believe something, but that our actions reflect uh, true belief in Jesus Christ. And so James was trying to communicate this. It's not enough just to say you're a believer, but your actions have to confirm that you are a believer. The actions are the fruit of your faith. And so he, he says this over and over and over, and it's one of the major themes we see in the book of James. But then we also see that James is trying to correct some division that's happened in the church. So he's trying to cut through that division and bring unity. And so we see over and over and over him talk about unity and talk about bringing people together. And one of the ways that, that, that God brings people together is when we stop thinking like the world and start adopting the mindset of Christ and have the mind of Christ. When we begin to value and love things the way God does, Instead of the way the world does, it helps us have unity, and not just in our church, but in our homes and our workplaces uh, across the board. Uh, and so these are some of the major themes we see throughout. And, and if you remember the last time, we talked about our words, that our ref- words are a reflection of our heart, um, that our words are, are weighty, our words are powerful. They can bring life or death. And so, again, in the context of unity and in the context of speaking this message to churches, keep this message in mind as we're walking through the passage today. So today we're going to pick it up in uh, James chapter 3, verse 13. And this is what James says there. He says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Now, James is asking this question uh, it's, it's a rhetorical question. Who's wise among you? He wasn't asking for people to raise their hands. What he was saying is, if you want to figure out who is the wise people among you, the, the, the wisest people among you are the people who live out their faith in meekness and wisdom. That you can see their faith at work through their actions, but they do so in meekness. Now, um, a few weeks ago, we talked about how works do not save us. 
It doesn't matter how often you attend church. It does not matter um, how, how um, often you read scripture, how many times you lead a Sunday school class or a small group or stand at the front door and greet. None of those things matter ultimately if it's all about works. But if it's works that are birthed out of our faith, it's a different story. But those works aren't what save us. The works aren't the things that God goes, okay, well, you finally done enough. I guess I'll let you into heaven. That's not how it happens. How it happens is we discover faith, Christ discovers us, we come into a relationship with him, our hearts are made new, and all of a sudden we begin to think more like Christ. We begin to desire the things that he desires and value the things he values. And all of a sudden our mind begins to shift and come into alignment with his. And as that happens, what we do changes. Our lives change. And the works of our lives are a fruit of what's going on in our hearts. And so what James is saying here is you want to figure out who the wisest people around you are? Look around and see who is doing the most, who is living out their faith in the meekness of wisdom. Now, today we're going to spend some time talking about wisdom, uh, but wisdom, it's, it's really important to understand that wisdom doesn't just happen from reading books. It doesn't happen from just having uh, a street, street cred or a street, you know, you've heard some people say, well, I didn't go to school, but I went to the school of hard knocks. Well, the school of hard knocks is fine, but that's not where true wisdom lies. The place that true wisdom lies is in the heart of Christ. Uh, That's it. And we're gonna see this fleshed out in just a moment. But sometimes we don't value wisdom like we should. Uh, But we see back in James 1.5, just a few weeks ago, we talked about this. James says to the church in James 1.5, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. So he says, hey, if you don't have wisdom, guess what? All you have to do is ask for wisdom. And James was talking specifically in this context about uh, walking through hard times and difficulty. And all of us walk through hard times and difficulty and challenges. And he said, if you want the wisdom of how to walk through that in a godly way, ask. Because I'm not smart enough to figure that stuff out on my own. I need God's help. And so we ask for wisdom and God will give it to us. So it's clear that God wants us to have wisdom. He wants us to walk in wisdom and be wise. In fact, um, the apostle Paul wrote to the Colossian church in Colossians 2, 1 through 3. He says this, he says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all those who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love. So let me stop right there. What he's saying is he's writing this letter to this church and he says, Hey, I want you to know I'm working like a dog. I'm giving everything I've got to see you encouraged. I wanna encourage you, and not just the people I know, but I wanna encourage the people I have never even met yet, the people I don't even know face to face. And I don't want you to be encouraged, but I want you to be unified in the faith. I want you to be one in in word and deed. And so he's encouraging them. And then he goes on to say, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery. So what is, what is God's mystery he's talking about? The God, God's mystery is Christ. So he says, which is Christ? Now listen to this. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We see right here, if we want true wisdom and knowledge in our lives, it does not happen through a degree or an advanced degree. Um, Those things are fine. Education is good. There's nothing wrong with that. But that is not true wisdom. True wisdom is only found in Christ. That's it. Now, I'm not discounting education. Education is really, really important, but education is not enough. 
In Proverbs chapter one, verse seven, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. See, it says here that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And I would say that knowledge is the beginning of wisdom. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. But it says the fear of the Lord. I used to think that this was um, when I'm afraid of God, that's the beginning of knowledge. Like, man, God's gonna squash me. If I sin, God's gonna squash me and game over. So I need to be afraid. That's not what it's talking about. Uh, The fear of the Lord is a reverent fear. It's a reverential fear that comes with us really understanding who God is. So it's not just his power and his authority, but it's also understanding his heart and his love for us. So it's not just that he's gonna punish us, that he's punitive, but he is, he is a fair, loving, generous, gracious God. So when we understand how big he is, how gracious he is, how awesome he is, it should humble us. And I'm not afraid of my dad. I'm almost 40 years old. I'm not afraid of my dad physically. Uh, maybe I should be. I'm not afraid of my dad though, right? Uh, but I'm a little bit afraid of him because I don't wanna disappoint him. I don't, wanna, I don't wanna do something that's gonna cause him to look at me differently. Or, or to feel differently about me. I know he's gonna love me. Does that make sense? And this is kind of the same sense that we look at with this fear of the Lord, that it's a reverential fear, that we understand who he is, we understand his love for us, we understand his authority and his power and his just, uh, his just actions, but we also understand, man, I'm really nothing in the face of a big God. I'm just a human. And I don't wanna disappoint him. I don't wanna do something stupid. I, my love for God drives me to the point where I say, God, I don't wanna mess this up. And so that's the beginning of knowledge. That helps us begin to understand who God is and his heart for us, his character and nature. And that is the beginning of wisdom for us. It goes on to say, fools despise wisdom and instruction. Has anybody ever been a fool before? <laughs> and the rest of you are liars, okay? <laughs> we'll give an altar call for that in just a moment. Um, Come on, all of us have been foolish before. All of us have. Have you ever gotten some insight or some advice from somebody? And, uh, and maybe on the outside they said, hey, uh, did you know that you're really not supposed to be doing it this way? You're supposed to be doing it this way instead. And you smile and on the outside you go, oh, thank you so much for your input and advice. I really appreciate it. But inside you go, would you just shut up and let me do what I wanna do, right? What do you know? I'm smarter than you are. But on the outside, you go, thank you so much for your input advice. I really appreciate it. You're driving down the road and your spouse, whether it's a male or female, whatever, they're sitting in the seat next to you. And this isn't personal. This is just for anybody. You're driving and maybe you're getting a little too close to the car in front of you. And your spouse says, aren't you getting a little too close to the car in front of you? And you respond and say, thank you so much for your input and advice. I really appreciate it. But on the inside, right? Hello, is anybody else there? Is your spouse trying to get on your nerves? No, your spouse is trying to keep you from rear-ending the car in front of you. Their heart for you is right. But what happens is our pride rises up and we go, who do you think you are? I'm the best, I know how to drive. I've been driving since I was 16, I'm, right? When, when your coworker walks in and says, are you sure you're supposed to be doing it that way? And you say the right thing, but in your heart you rise up. And what do you know? And I'm right. Do you know what we're displaying in that moment? We're displaying our foolish hearts. We're displaying a heart that says, "I'm smarter than you are. I don't need any advice. I don't need to be taught." Right? And we see here in Proverbs that when we do that, we're identified as fools. Now, a fool is someone who knows the right thing 
refuses to do it. Uh, let me give you an example of a fool. Is there any Pittsburgh Steelers fans in the room? I'm not going to say you're a fool, okay? By the way, you're not a fool. Any Pittsburgh Steelers fans in the room? Okay, lots of Pittsburgh Steelers fans. Has anybody ever heard of a guy named Le'Veon Bell? He's a running back. He's a fool. Let me give you an example. The guy has been busted for drugs in the past. He knows he's going to be tested for drugs in the future. So he doesn't show up for his drug test, which is an automatic disqualification. Do you know who doesn't show up to be tested for drugs? People who have done drugs, right? He's an NFL running back. He's got millions of dollars on the line, but he wants to do some drugs. This guy's a fool. He knows what he should do. He knows the right thing, but he refuses to do it. And we are the same way when we refuse uh, when we refuse counsel, when we refuse correction, when we refuse to be taught, we're fool. And this is what Proverbs says, the wisest man that ever lived, Solomon, he wrote Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. And we see this, that we are foolish when we act this way. See, wisdom, the difference between wisdom and, and knowledge is wisdom is the, the wise or the godly application of knowledge. So what we do is we take what we know and then we live it out. Um, knowledge, knowledge understands or sees that the light has turned red, but wisdom applies the break, right? Um, knowledge knows that there's quicksand ahead of us, but wisdom walks around it. Knowledge memorizes the Ten Commandments, but wisdom lives them out. Knowledge uh, understands or, or reads or learns about God, but knowledge loves God. In Western PA, this might make a little more sense to you. Um, knowledge knows how to fire a weapon or fire a gun, but under, wisdom understands when to leave it in the holster and when to pull it out. Does that make sense? Because you might know something, but it doesn't mean you know anything. <laughs> if you know, have you ever met somebody like that? They had a lot of knowledge, but they were just dumb as a post. Maybe those people live in Oklahoma where I'm from. So uh, we know people like that. Maybe they're... they're They've got knowledge, but they don't have wisdom. They don't know how to live it out. Wisdom's important. Wisdom is valuable. If you don't believe me, um, let me just refer to a couple things in Ecclesiastes 9.18. Uh, the writer of Ecclesiastes says, wisdom is better than weapons of war. And you go, man, I like my guns. I totally understand that. But you know what? If you were wise, you maybe wouldn't need the weapon of war. I'm not anti-Second Amendment, okay? I like bare arms just like the rest of us. Um, but I'm, what I'm saying is wisdom is valuable. It may be more valuable than weapons of war. In fact, the, the writer of Proverbs, again, Solomon says, wisdom is better than gold. And you go, wait a second, you just went too far with that one, right? Have you ever tried to pay your electric bill with wisdom before? You're like, listen, I don't have any money, but let me just share a few thoughts with you. Maybe that'll balance things out. Maybe we can come to an understanding today. Like, yes, dazzle me with your wisdom, right? That, no, that's not how that works. They, they want money to pay the electric bill. But what the writer of Proverbs is saying is that we have to value wisdom in the same way or even more highly than we do gold. And if there was a gold bar sitting on this stage and I said, it's available for the first person who gets up here. You, you don't think there'd be a mad scramble of people in this room trying to get to this bar of gold on stage? Absolutely there would be. My question is, why don't we value wisdom the same way? Why don't we scramble after? Why don't we pursue it? Why don't we chase after it in the same way that we pursue riches and money? 
Ecclesiastes 4.13 says, it's better to be a poor yet wise lad than it is to be a foolish king who can't be taught. A king has authority and power and esteem and money, everything we think we need to fix our lives. But, but Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived said, hey, if I could be that or I could be a wise young man who's penniless, give me that every day of the week. Again, we don't always look at it like that, do we? And again, this comes back to the idea that the world values things differently than God does. That God looks at a situation and says, here's what I would do. And many times, most times in fact, the world is counter to that. So we look at this situation and we go, wait a second, it's better to be wise than rich? I don't know. And do you know what that is? That's the world in us. That's the world's thinking in us. And what James is saying is we've got to root that out. We've got to start thinking the way God thinks instead. Because when we think the way God thinks, when we value wisdom highly, uh, what it does is it restores relationships. It, it brings families together. It brings unity in workplaces. It brings unity in churches. But again, we don't always value wisdom. He, he compares that in verse 14 of James chapter three. It says, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not wisdom that comes down from above. So he says, this isn't godly wisdom, but listen to what he says, but it is earthly and unspiritual and demonic. That's direct, isn't it? So when we think a way that's contrary to the scripture, we might think it makes sense. But what we're saying and what we're really doing is we're living and thinking in a way that's earthly and unspiritual and ultimately it's demonic. And we have to check ourselves and we have to ask ourselves, why is there so much dysfunction in my home? And maybe the reason is because you're applying earthly wisdom to your situations. Why is there so much dysfunction in my marriage? Maybe it's because you're applying earthly wisdom. Why is there so much dysfunction in my workplace? Why is there so, so much dysfunction in, in, in my neighborhood, my community? Why is there so many problems? Well, maybe it's because we've valued earthly wisdom over godly wisdom. Verse 16 says this, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. Gosh, look around at our world that we live in. And this feels like an appropriate description of the world we live in so many times. If you watch the news for two minutes, which again, I have to, if I watch the news, I have to almost do it with my nose plugged. It's like, oh God, I don't want to see all this. And it's just negative and bad and bad and bad. And you think this is bad? Well, it gets worse. And here's this terrible situation. And then for the last two minutes on the news, like as a throw-in story, they'll tell you about something good that happened. We look at our world and, and this makes sense. Why? Because jealousy and selfish ambition abound in our world. Why? Because that's the way the world thinks. It's earthly wisdom. Do for yourself. Hey, step on the guy above you to get on the next rung on the ladder. Take advantage. Do whatever you need to do to make it to the corner office. That's not the way God thinks. See, jealousy is simply desiring that which doesn't belong to you. It's desiring something that's not yours. Maybe uh, it's easy to look at things like a boat or a house or a car or something tangible, but it might be something like attention. You, you post something on Facebook and your friend posts something else on Facebook and they get twice as many likes as you. Well, that's not fair. I'm nicer than they are. Sounds petty, but I promise there's somebody in this room that deals with that. 
Somebody in your office, they get recognized for a job, and you, well, I should have been recognized for the job. I worked just as hard as they did. What is that? That's jealousy in your heart. You want something that doesn't belong to you. Well, I want that credit. It's my credit. No, it's their credit. Leave it alone. Lay it down. So you have a choice to make. You can choose to be jealous, or you can choose to celebrate when somebody else succeeds and wins. Selfish ambition. Let me, let me just give you an example of selfish ambition. Um, I'll, I'll read this passage to you, and then I'll give you the context. It's, it's in Luke chapter 22, verse 24, and it says, A dispute also arose among them as to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. Now, without knowing the context, it's so easy. You could apply this. Couldn't you apply this to your kids in the car? Right? You're, they were going on vacation. They were driving to grandma's house. And a dispute also arose among them as to which of them would be the greatest, regarded as the greatest. I'm the greatest in the kingdom. No, I'm the greatest. I can imagine my kids in the back seat having this argument, right? It's childish. Mom, he crossed the line. She won't stop looking at me, right? Like, come on, grow up. You want to raise the privacy glass, right? Like, oh, all right. This isn't a group of children. Do you know who this is? It's the disciples. It's the people who spent more time with Jesus than anyone else. And let me take it a step further. Do you know when this happened? Right after the Last Supper. This holy, godly moment where they receive communion together, where Jesus talks about his sacrifice that he's making for the world, and they didn't fully understand it. But they have this holy moment where Jesus blesses them and shares with them, and he's communing with them. And then they... They, they fall right into this argument over who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. That's selfish ambition. If they are prone to selfish ambition in one of the holiest moments we see in Scripture, how much more are we prone to selfish ambition? We think we're immune, but we are not immune. Every one of us in this place is prone to selfish ambition. And what do we know about jealousy and selfish ambition? We know that where they exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. So what do we have to do? We have to start saying, God, I don't want to think that way anymore. God, I want, you to, I want you to fix my heart and fix my mind and help me align with you. God, I need your wisdom that I don't have on my own. We don't want to think like the world thinks anymore. In verse 17, it says, it talks about earthly wisdom, but then it comes back and talks about godly wisdom or heavenly wisdom. And it says this, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. So let me help you understand this. If the wisdom you're exercising doesn't produce this fruit in your life, you are not exercising godly, heavenly wisdom. You're exercising earthly wisdom. And, and the product of your earthly wisdom is gonna be dysfunction. It's gonna be hurt and heartache. It's gonna be sorrow. So ask yourself, are these the things I see in my life? And if they're not, then you have to ask yourself, what do I need to do differently? How do I need to begin to think differently? How do I need God to change my heart? So again, wisdom from above is pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and full of good fruits, impartial and sincere. If these aren't the things you see in your life, you're not exercising godly wisdom. And we're all gonna mess up. None of us are gonna be 100% on this because we're, flesh and blood. We're human beings. So let me give you a little bit of grace there. We're going to mess this thing up sometimes because we're fallible. Every one of us. But if we don't see these things at work, we have to ask ourselves, am I thinking the way God thinks or am I thinking the way the world thinks? 
verse 18. I'll finish with this passage. It says, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Now you've heard this statement before. Um, people say you reap what you sow. And usually we hear it at times when you mess up, you do something stupid and somebody else says something like, well, you reap what you sow. And it's condescending. And uh, I mean, it's judgmental the way they say it. But the statement is 100% true. I can't uh, plant uh, a cucumber plant or a cucumber seed in the ground and see a tomato come out. Whatever I plant is what I, what I harvest, right? I, I reap what I sow. So if I sow a certain kind of seed, I'm gonna get a harvest of, that's like seed. Does that make sense? And what we see here is James says to the church, he says, if you wanna reap a harvest of righteousness, if you wanna see righteousness at work in your life, you have to plant a seed. And the seed you have to plant is peace. So instead of looking to pick a fight or win a fight, if you want righteousness in your life, you've gotta plant a seed of peace. And this is the thing about a harvest, it takes time, unfortunately. And we live in a right now era where we want things as quickly as possible, as fast as possible, on my time. And harvests don't happen on our time. They happen when they're ready, when the conditions are right. So we plant a seed and we condition the soil and we water and we do what we can and the harvest comes when the harvest comes. So you're gonna plant a seed of peace in your life and five minutes later, you're gonna go, God, I guess you hate me because I haven't seen righteousness at work. That's not how it happens. You say, okay, God, I'm gonna, I'm gonna plant a seed of peace in my life. You know what? I feel, like, I feel like winning this fight. I feel like getting back at this person, but I'm gonna plant peace and I'm gonna trust you to bring the harvest. And you wait and you wait and you water that seed and you condition the soil and you do what you need to do and you wait and you wait and you wait and you wait, but you will see righteousness in your life. See, one of the problems is we're planting all kinds of other seeds and expecting a different harvest. We're planting seeds of bitterness and envy and hatred and jealousy and selfishness. We plant these seeds and then we wonder why we get the harvest we get. It's because we're planting seeds that look like that. God says, no, 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 you gotta think differently. You gotta do things differently. Stop thinking the way the world thinks. Have the mind of Christ. Apply wisdom to your situation. Um, I read a book a few years ago by a guy named Andy Stanley, pastors a great church. Uh, called North Point Church, uh, north of Atlanta, Georgia. And um, Andy wrote in this book, and we might have it on our, in our resource center out in the lobby, but um, he wrote a book called uh, Ask It, and it's the best question ever. And the best question ever simply is, is this a wise choice? And so what he postulates in the book is something I've applied or tried to apply to my life. And it simply says, in every situation we need to ask ourselves, is this the wise choice? Because see, we ask ourselves the wrong questions so many times. So many times we ask ourselves, is this sinful? If I do this while I go to hell, if I do this while I lose my job, if I do this while I lose my marriage, but we don't ask ourselves, is it wise? And this is the thing we have to understand. Every unwise choice ultimately leads to a sinful choice. So I might make a decision today that's just simply unwise. It's not sinful, but it's just unwise. And that might lead to another unwise choice and then another unwise choice and to another unwise choice until ultimately it leads me to a choice that is sinful. And by the time I've gotten to that place, it is too late. See, we all have a past that we have to deal with. We all have baggage. We all have a history. We all have things that we've had to overcome and we all have a future. 
I want you to know every person in this place, no matter who you are, God has a destiny and a dream for your life. You might feel like God has given up on you because of your past, but I want you to know your past is not bigger than God's future for you. God's got a, a dream for you. And this is what we have to understand, that our past impacts our today, but it doesn't change our destiny. Now, when I was younger, I didn't struggle uh, with drugs or alcohol or any of those kind of things. Uh, my struggle was in my dating relationships with the opposite of sex. I, I struggled um, in my relationship with girls and maintaining healthy boundaries. And with that in mind, today I've set up some boundaries and some guardrails in our lives. And some people think they're crazy and extreme, and maybe they are a little bit, but it's the wise thing. So one of the things we do is in our marriage, I don't ride in a car with a woman who's not my wife by myself. I won't do it. And even if there's somebody else in the car, I'm not gonna sit in the front seat with a woman who's not my wife because I don't wanna be driving through town and have somebody see me and go, oh, well, they were running. I just saw pastor sitting in the car with, right? Because is it sinful? No, it's not sinful. I'm, I'm not gonna go to hell for riding in a car with a woman that's not my wife. But it's not wise because I've seen guys who've said, oh yeah, I can ride in a car with a woman who's not my wife, no big deal. And that might lead to, oh, it's no big deal to grab some coffee with a woman who's not my wife. And that might lead to, well, it's no big deal to grab dinner with a woman who's not my wife. And ultimately, that could lead to a moment of indiscretion, a moment of sin. So before I get there, I wanna say, you know what? I wanna be wise. So I ask the question, is it sinful? No, it's not sinful. Is it wise? In, in light of my past, in light of where I wanna be in my future, I know God's got a, a vision and a dream for my life. And in order to get there, I can't be stupid today. So I've got to be wise. So the question isn't, is it sinful? The question is, is it wise? Because of my background, because of my baggage, because of what I've been through, because I want to be where I want to be in the future, is this wise for me today? And that question saves me over and over and over and over and over again. Do you want a healthy marriage? Start asking yourself, what's the wise choice for me? In light of my past, in light of where I want to be in my future, what's the wise choice today? You want a healthy relationship in your workplace? Start asking yourself, what's the wise choice? You wanna see health in your relationships, health in your relationship with God? Stop asking, is it sinful? And start asking, is it wise? And it'll be a game changer for you. It'll be a game changer for your family. Here's your homework for this week. Two things. Start asking yourself that simple question, is it wise? When you face a decision that you're gonna face later today, tomorrow, the next day, ask yourself, is it wise? your spouse responds or says something to you and you, you're cocked and loaded, you're ready to fire back, stop yourself and say, okay, is this wise? I, I wanna have a healthy marriage and we've got a past, we've had some problems, we've had some arguments. So in light of my past, in light of where I wanna be in the future, is this a wise choice right now? It's gonna save you some fights. It might save your marriage. So ask yourself, is this the wise thing for me to do? And then the other thing I want you to do is this week, I want you to read through Proverbs chapter one. We referenced it earlier, Proverbs chapter one, verse seven, but I want you to read Proverbs chapter one. If you're not a reader, read through it once. If you are a reader, I want you to read through Proverbs chapter one several times. I want you to get wisdom in you. I want you to begin to hear this and understand it and apply it to your life. That's the homework for you this week. The challenge is be wise. The challenge is to take on the wisdom of God and not the wisdom of earth and see how your world will be changed when you trust him with your heart. Let's pray together. God, I love you so much. And I'm thankful that you love us. I'm thankful that you're crazy about us and that you love us so much that you sent your son to die for us. And Lord, you didn't just leave us in the world, but Lord, you sent your Holy Spirit to 
be the voice of truth for us, the spirit of truth. And so God, I pray that you would lead us in your truth, that you'd help us think like you, that you'd give us your wisdom and that we wouldn't rely on and lean on this earthly wisdom that is so prevalent in our world. God, I pray that you'd give us the mind of Christ today. Lord, as we press into you and trust you more, let us know your heart and let us trust you more deeply and more fully. Now with your head bowed and your eyes closed, I just wanna ask you today, if you're here and you say, Mel, you know what? I'm not really walking in wisdom and the reason I'm not really walking in wisdom is because I'm not really walking with God. And I know the only way to true wisdom is through Jesus and man, I wanna have a relationship with him. My life is kind of a mess and I need help. I can't do this on my own. So today I wanna make Jesus the Lord of my life. I wanna begin to walk with him. I wanna have that knowledge that you talked about so that I can grow in wisdom and see my life changed the way only God can do. If you're here today and that's you, I'm not gonna make you come forward. I'm not gonna embarrass you. I just wanna pray with you right where you are. So if you're here today and you say, Mel, that's me, pray for me. I wanna make Jesus Lord of my life. Would you put your hand up real high where I can see it and just acknowledge you and pray with you? Thank you, up in the balcony. Thank you, two hands up there in the balcony. Thank you so much. Hand down here by the camera on my left. Thank you, sir. Hand down here in the front. Thank you, sir. You can put your hand down. Over here on my right. Thank you so much, ma'am. I see you. You can put your hand down. Praise God. Who else would join these and say, that's me. Pray for me, Mel. I want to make Jesus Lord of my life. Anyone else? All right. I want every person in this place, whether you raised your hand or not, just to repeat this really simple prayer after me. So if you would pray this prayer out loud, dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. And thank you for saving me by paying the price for my sin on the cross. Today, I am yours. Use my life for your glory. I'm never turning back to my old ways or my old life or my old thinking. Make my mind new. Thank you for loving me. I love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, can we celebrate together those who are made new today? Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Now listen, if you made that decision today and you prayed that prayer, uh, I want you to know how proud I am of you. I'm so excited for the journey that you're on and we wanna help you on that journey. Just like if you go on a trip, you have to, you have, to have a roadmap and it takes time and you, sometimes you need help along the way. We wanna help you on your journey. Uh, our spiritual life is not something we should accomplish, uh, we should tackle on our own. We wanna help you with your journey. So let us know about your decision. And the way you can do that is by filling this card out. It's in the seat back in front of you. It'll take two minutes. Fill this card out for us. Let us know about your decision. Then drop it in one of our offering boxes in the back of the room. There's one in the balcony and two in the back of the room by the main doors. So drop this in there. And in the next couple days, we're gonna reach out to you and help you take that next step on your faith journey. What's gonna happen right now is our worship team is gonna lead us one final song. And as they do, our prayer team is gonna step out and they're gonna join us at the front of this room on each side of the stage. If you need prayer for any reason, we believe our God is a big God and he can respond to every one of our needs. There's nothing in your life that is too big for our God. And so we wanna pray with you about that. So our prayer team's available. So as soon as we begin to worship together in this final song, step out from your seat and find one of our prayer team members to, to agree with you in prayer. And then in just a moment, Steph McCoy, our missions director, is gonna come and she'll dismiss us uh, and, and let you guys go. So why don't you stand to your feet all of the room. We're gonna worship together one more time. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To watch this message on video, go to summittogether.com.